one side and we're back into the routine and the busyness of life. And you see, all I want to help us do this evening is to stop and is to reflect again on the wonders of what we have come face to face with in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And hopefully it will lead to not just an evening of prayer and praise, but a life of prayer and praise in worship to our great God. We're going to sing again in a moment. After we've sung, we're actually going to hear a a reading. It's not going to be from the front. It's going to come through on the audio of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So I want you to have your Bibles ready for that shortly. Then after that, Mark's going to come and give us a 10-minute review or synopsis of where we've been over the last five weeks, which is no easy task because we've covered a lot in five weeks and we're going to have a ten-minute refresher just to stimulate some of those things uh, that we've been confronted with. And after that, we're just going to have a time to pray, an extended time to pray, an opportunity to pray publicly as well, which I'll explain after. But hopefully it'll be a good time as we reflect on some of these great truths again. If you'd like to open your Bibles to follow along the reading on the screen, then from Genesis 1 and 2. The Book of Genesis, Chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to 
govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Genesis 2 Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. 
Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Assur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Um, I wanted, I was really keen that we, we heard the whole of Genesis 1 and 2 read together. We've, we've looked at it in different ways over the last few weeks, but there is something, I think, valuable about coming and, and reading the whole of uh, a larger part of the Scriptures together. So I hope that's been helpful for you. Um, what we're going to do is, it's going to come up on the screen, I just want to flick through some of the slides we've looked at in the last five weeks or so. Um, this is the kind of, uh, the last five weeks where we've been. We've been building a story the whole time. Trying, what I've tried to do is look at Genesis 1 and 2 through uh, five different lenses. Is this just off-putting? I don't want to use it if it is. Mm. I'll just, uh, I'll go without it, and if you give me a thumbs up once it's sorted, that'd be great. Okay, so we've got, um, we've got five lenses. We've tried to look at Genesis 1 and 2 through, and I hope you've been finding them helpful. Um, we're going to have some conclusions we'll draw, but I, the real aim of this next ten minutes is just to try and jog our memory, not to uh, teach us anything new, but to jog our memories, to remind us of some of the things we've done over the last few weeks. And for that to really fuel our praise and our prayer through the rest of the service and as Wellesley said, into the rest of our lives. 
So that's where we've been. I don't know if you've had a, a favourite week, a week that's particularly helped you, a week that's particularly challenged you. Um, but for the benefit of those who haven't been here, um, I'll whiz through a few of the things we've looked at together. Uh, a few weeks ago, it feels like an age ago, we looked at uh, In the Beginning God, the very opening phrase in the Bible. And one of the things I showed us was this diagram of creation, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and we looked at it to try and understand that creation is ordered. There's clear design in what God has made. There's clear order in what he has made. Uh, and whatever we make of the days, we've discussed that. What we see here in Genesis chapter 1 is that creation was ordered by a loving God. I don't know if you remember those diagrams. We had a look at the difference between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, particularly with reference to mankind. Genesis 1 holds that mankind, made in the image of God, as kind of the pinnacle of creation. It was good, it was good, it was good. It was very good. Mankind is God's way of saying, this is the person, the people who are going to reflect me, who are going to bear my image. Genesis 2 is a little different because what you see here is sort of mankind in the heart of the garden. And Genesis 2 we've looked at is all about relationship. A relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship with our world. And just to conclude the first week, we thought really, one of the things I, I, I hope was helpful was to try and think, what is the purpose of a, a passage of scripture before you seek to understand its meaning? And I made the point, it's not about kind of guessing, oh, what's the writer, what, what in the world is he, what's his purpose? It's more about looking at the flow, looking at the context, what's come around it, to try and determine what is the writer trying to do? Because a writer, when he writes, or she writes, can never say everything, but what they do say is for a reason. So what's the purpose? And when we've established the purpose, it helps us understand the meaning. Um, I think, uh, I mean, read loads of these two chapters, a lot of the mistakes that people make is when they seek to do more than the text is trying to do. So one of the things I think is helpful is to affirm what the passage affirms and don't seek to import into it lots and lots of answers to questions you may have, legitimate questions, but which the text doesn't answer. Affirm what the passage affirms. Great. And the last thing is that, and I guess this was really a note for humility, just be prepared uh, not, to, not to type every loose end. Um, uh, everyone would experience this, but the, the more you read, the more you think about a subject, the more you realise you don't know. Um, and there's loads and loads that um, you won't be able to understand in a particular passage, but just have the humility to have the questions, but not feel you have to button everything up. We're talking about God. We can never get a full measure of him. The second week we looked at the seven days that divide the earth. Um, we had a sort of discussion about what does it mean to read Genesis literally, and particularly I drew attention to metaphor. How does metaphor work? Uh, metaphor can be metaphor, but also be real. So we talked about, as an example, Jesus says, I am the door. He's not a physical door made of wood, but he is a door, because you walk through him to get to God. So it's worth trying to work out where are the metaphors in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Uh, I hope you saw that these are very familiar chapters. We probably know these chapters perhaps better than any other chapters in the Bible. Uh, but they're complete, very, very complex. And I, I wanted to draw our attention to that. Not because they're complex in the sense we can't understand them. There are amazing simple truths in them that we can teach one another, we can teach children. But they are very com complex chapters. And I think one of the things that does is it reminds us that we can't always understand everything. I spoke to um, one of the older people in the church who's not here tonight who's been at the church a long, long time and they said to me last week I've read Genesis 1 and 2 
20, 30, 40 times and I still learn something new every time. Uh, and I hope that and pray that will be my experience in 40 years' time. I'm sure it will. Um, we talked about there could easily be room for debate about the days of creation. Um, if you push me on it, I don't think that days are literal. And I did explain why I think that. I wouldn't go to the stake for that. I wouldn't fall out of anyone over it. Um, that's just my understanding through the thinking I've done on it. But whatever your understanding of the day is, it was clearly a period of time which God created. But I think the more important thing to affirm, rather than getting completely hung up on the science, was it a seven little days or 24 hours, was it not, was this verse in Hebrews, that it's by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. That is something we can all hold to, even if there's difference of opinion on the days. The third week, uh, we tackled this massive subject, uh, science and faith. We looked at this uh, really big subject, not by any means trying to um, tie all these questions up. Uh, I showed us that diagram, which was trying to help us understand the history of why we think the way that we do today. It was a very, very simplified, sort of potted history of science. But just to remind us, the 17th century was this period of measurement and the fact that science grew up in a Christian context. The 18th century, the Enlightenment, these buzzwords, knowledge and reason, is all about we can understand the world that God has made. 19th century was humanism, that's basically God out of the way and mankind at the centre. Of course, the more that we know, the more we think we don't need God. Uh, 20th century uh, was relativism, this idea of there's no such thing as absolute truth, you can believe this, you can believe this, it doesn't really matter, comme si, comme ça. It's all about just loving each other. And so I left us to work out what do you think the 21st century prevailing philosophy was? Um, Perhaps it's materialism, perhaps it's hedonism, perhaps it's individualism. But uh, we think like we do today because we're a product of the centuries before us. And it was just an attempt to try and help us to understand maybe a little bit about why we think the way that we do. And we spend a lot of time looking at Romans chapter 1 because I think they're really crucial chapters Uh, chapter that really helps us understand what's going on when we put ourselves at the center and we replace God and it was all that language of um, suppressing truth of exchanging the truth of God for a lie and uh, that's really the reason why God has got squeezed out of our culture and out of our thinking and why um, the unhelpful angle of science in some senses has um, sought to replace God at the end of that week, and there was a lot in that week, um, there's a few things here um, which I tried to help us in terms of a summary. One was that just allow Genesis 1 to be a framework which you hold on to with all the questions that you legitimately have. Um, and from that to enjoy science, to use science. It says a little later on, uh, we mustn't ignore science, that would be naive, but we mustn't fear it either. Um, it, it is a gift from God. Uh, I did talk about, I don't make a category mistake. That was saying Genesis 1 and 2 is not science. It's not that it has nothing to say about science, but it isn't science. So don't go to Genesis 1 and 2 and say, here's a science textbook which gives me every answer that a science textbook might. They're different things. And that helps us, I think, with often the confusion that we have over reading Genesis 1 and 2. And again, it was another note uh, to humility. Just recognize the limits to science, despite all the blessings that science is and all the advancements. There are great limits to science. Science doesn't explain everything. And recognize your own limits too. Uh, You can't explain everything, and I can't. Uh, The big thing that we came out of that week thinking about was letting God speak. Let God's word speak.
Uh, we're nearly there. God made man his own image the fourth week. Uh, we started by thinking about the great confusion that we have as human beings over our identity, particularly our sexual identity. And there were three things we looked at uh, in that week. The first was that our image is rooted in the character of God. That is where morality and where ethics is rooted. That right and wrong isn't simply a human construct. God, in his character, determines what is right and what is wrong. We thought about what it meant to be made in the image of God. And one of the things was that God created us to represent and reflect him. And the three of the areas we thought about was authority, uh, good authority, abusive authority, a care for all that God has made, and enjoyment. And remember we had that moment where we just paused and praised because so often we use the world God has created, but we don't slow down to enjoy it. And the third thing we looked at that week was that you and I were created for a relationship. We're created as relational beings, relating to God, relating to each other, relating to the world that we have. And uh, the final point was really teeing up the final week, uh, that God was at work in restoring his image in us. Yes, our image was marred at the fall, but it wasn't removed. And God is wanting to make us more like Christ day by day to restore his image in us. And then last week we tried to look at what this tree of life was all about and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We spent quite a lot of time looking at that. And I was helping, trying to help us to see that that tree of good and evil at its very heart is all about only God has the right to determine what is right and wrong. So when God said don't eat from that tree, he wasn't being a killjoy saying there's something good that I want to withhold from you. He was saying I am the one who determines what is good and what is not good. So listen to me when I tell you that. Don't go and seek to determine truth for yourself. And we thought about history. History is his story. History is God's story. And so we concluded last week with this little picture. How do we get from that tree of life, that, that garden of abundance in Genesis 1 and 2? How do we get back to the tree of life and the city of abundance in Revelation 21 and 22? The beginning of the Bible, the end of the Bible. And we saw that at the very heart of this exploration of where we get life from lies at the heart of the cross. A God who is the giver of life. A God who wants to forgive us and give us new opportunities to know him and to love him and worship him. Now I know there's lots there. Um, but I hope that's just given you a bit of a reminder of some of the things that we've thought about together. Uh, I hope that you do feel more confident that you know Genesis 1 and 2 a little better. Um, but more importantly than all of that, I hope that you feel you know God a bit better. Um, I always say to the discipleship group, um, we often talk about lots of things, but at the end of the evening we always try and say, just take away one thing that you've learned tonight, because one thing that you put into practice in your life is tons better than ten things that you forget the second you walk out of the door. And I don't know there'll be some time later this service where we can reflect on something we've learned. Um, but I want to say a big thank you to you. It's been a lot of work, of course it has. It's been hard answering questions, but thank you for all of you who've contributed because actually we've learned together. There's been some really helpful insights that you've all shared. There's been some good questions. Um, I've really enjoyed being stretched and pushed and it's moved me on in my thinking and understanding. And I definitely know God a bit better off the back of this series. Um, so I pray it's been an encouragement to you. Uh, we're going to be uh, moving on next week into a completely new series looking at the book of 1 Samuel, uh, completely different in feel. Um, but there's a great God behind it all and I hope and pray it's been an encouragement to you as we've journeyed together.
Good. Well, I do hope there's more than one takeaway for you, at least one from each of the evenings that you've been at. So here now is the, uh, the mystery of the bit of card and pen revealed to you. Um, so I'd love you to maybe jot down, I think we should all do this, whether you actually scribble it down or not, but I'd love you to now identify one or two things as you reflect back, whether you came to all the talks, or whether you came to one or two, what are the one or two things that you learnt maybe about God and who he is and what he is like, or maybe about yourself and what it looks like to bear his image in his world. So I'd love you just to take 30 seconds now or a minute and really try and identify these things because what we're going to do then is we are going to have a time to pray and maybe some of those things that you've jotted down or collected in your own mind can be the basis uh, for some of those prayers. So just take a moment to do that. What I want us to do in a, in a moment is to give us an opportunity or people to the opportunity to pray publicly. We don't do this very often. Um, but in a moment I'm going to step down from the pulpit um, and give people a chance to come and to pray. And maybe some of those things that you've jotted down uh, can be the basis of your prayers and your thanks that you give uh, to God. I don't know whether this is something you feel comfortable with or not. I'm sure some people do, some people don't. That's absolutely fine. But I would encourage you, because I think for me, when you hear somebody else pray, it's a wonderful thing. It's a really wonderful encouragement. And the prayers that you pray are then echoed in the, in the hearts and the heads of everybody else that's in the room. So I do encourage you, whether that's familiar territory or not, for you to come and pray um, in light of some of those things you've written down. I think that would be great. But likewise, don't be afraid of silence. If, if there isn't a cue to come up here, don't worry. Um, just take that time. You've got things written down. You've collected things in your head. Just take those things to the throne of grace yourself, whether they're questions that you want answers to, that you can ask God for, or whether it's thanks or praise or challenge or encouragement. Uh, but let's take a bit of time now, and then we'll sort of close this section. The band will come back up, and we're just going to play a quiet song uh, that's going to be sung from the front that we can join in with as well. Uh, but let's take the appropriate amount of time just to reflect on some of those things in our own hearts. Can I lead us in a prayer? Father, I want to thank you um, that I've learned over these weeks that Genesis 1 and 2 talk to us about the one behind creation, which perhaps is rather obvious, Father, but I thank you that uh, this is the most important thing rather than the detail of just looking at the created things. And Lord, I want to thank you as well that realised afresh that, that only you have the right and alone have the ability uh, to, de to determine what is right and what is wrong. And that, Lord, we, can, we need to rely on you and trust in you and worship you as we stand in awe of you. So, Lord, I thank you for these uh, last few weeks and the freshness of uh, looking at your creative power and what it tells us mainly about you and I want to thank you for those that have led us and thank you for your spirit that's brought your word to life for us. Amen. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks that uh, your word reminds us that uh, we are created by you for your pleasure we are not our own and Father uh, we know we are liable to strive in our own strength to do what we often understand to be 
your will and your instruction. But Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, be more and more reliant upon you, that our lives would be less about ourselves and more about you. Father, help us to place all of life's um, exercises and trials and tribulations and joys in the context within which you see them as creator being. And Father, whilst our lives are very small in so many ways, we give you thanks that elsewhere in your word we learn that you care for each one of us and you know every uh, hair of our head and every sand uh, particle that lies on every beach within your creation. So Father, help us to see our lives in the context within which you see them. You are there from the start and you are already there at the end and you beckon us forward uh, to take comfort in you and confidence in your plan. And we pray that we would walk according to your will and your light and that your Holy Spirit would uh, dwell within us, prompt us, encourage us and give us courage for each day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I thank you that you have showed us that you created us in your image, but that you are God, that you created us to have faith. We are people of faith, Lord. We are not to have that knowledge of good and evil, for that is yours. But we are to have faith in you, to trust you. And Lord, that when we take, try to take that knowledge into our own hands, we suffer and we struggle. And Lord, just um, thank you that you've taken the opportunity of these few weeks just to help us to focus on your majesty and your greatness your perfect will and your perfect knowledge that you are trustworthy. Amen. his hands yet you left heaven in the person of your son and you came to this world to save people like me Lord God we give you amazing thanks that you are unlimited in power 
and majesty and might and glory, but you're a God of tenderness and humility and patience and kindness. Lord, thank you for the chance that we've had to explore your character in these first couple of chapters of your word. Lord, I pray that as we've stopped this evening to reflect and to pause and to ponder, Lord, wherever we stand before you this evening, Lord, would you push these truths deeper down into our hearts? Would you fill our hearts with joy and gladness and assurance and confidence that comes with knowing who you are and how much you love us? Lord God, we don't just want to be a people of prayer and a people of praise when we gather together. We long to be a people of prayer and a people of praise as we scatter into this world, as we go back to our, our roads and our streets and our workplaces and our social settings and our families. Lord, we want to be people that join with creation and declare the glory of God that we too would proclaim just how good and how gracious you are. So Lord, we thank you for this time to reflect and we pray that you would grant us these moments in our busy weeks to do the same, that we would never move on too fast to forget all that we have learnt over these last few weeks in these wonderful chapters that reveal the greatness of God. And Lord, we commit to you the many unspoken and unseen issues and challenges and circumstances that many of us face here in the wider congregation Lord we we pray into those and we pray that you would be good in answering those prayers Lord Jesus and would you answer them most fully by giving us a clearer and more beautiful vision of yourself that we might walk into life confidently serving you and glorifying your precious name And we pray all this for the name of Jesus, our wonderful Saviour. Amen. Good, well hopefully you've been encouraged by this evening and our time together in Genesis 1 and 2. Let me remind you of this little suggested reading list if you want to explore further the truths of Genesis 1 and 2. Then there's some suggested reading here, um, should be on the table on the way out. As Mark said, we're going to be starting a new series next week, a longer series in 1 Samuel starting at chapter 8 and working our way through to the end. So it would be lovely uh, to see you there for that as well. Teas and coffees have been served, will be served for the last time by Philip and Judy. If anyone wants to step into those shoes, then do come and find us as well at the end. But enjoy your teas and coffees. Continue to talk about things that matter and give Judy and Philip a decent high five on the way out. And have a very good week. Thanks for coming.